Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions that you guys send in via the tip link. However, we often normally don't have enough time to get through all the questions that get sent in. But if you use that tip link and you supported the show and you sent in interesting questions, I want to make sure you guys don't have to wait too long to get them answered. So we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos. And, and once again, if you want to get in a comment or question read on the main John Campus show or on one of these companion videos, simply use that tip link down in the description. That's at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for us to use on the show. And of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campus show, thank you guys so much for your support. All right, guys, it is Wednesday today, and we've got a number of questions we still have to get through, so let's start getting caught up right now. And we're going to start getting caught up here with a question from uh, Garden Variety Vagabond, who writes, one of two, John, I am going against my normal mindset when it comes to marketing Dune. I want as many people as possible to go in the first week, so I hope the marketing department focuses on the elements that gets people in the seats. Um, so I would like them to market Zendaya, who is who is very who is in you probably meant to say who is in very little of the film and Jason Momoa, while Timothy Chalamet. Uh, is the lead and an excellent actor. He is not the zeitgeist, uh, not in the zeitgeist. So I want Worms, special effects, and those two to get people in the seats. All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, man. I mean, look, with with trailers and things like that, it's always a balancing act that you have to do. You want to, number one, do everything you can do in the trailer to get butts in the seats. Yes, but number two, you also must represent the film. You want to accurately represent the movie because nothing pisses off audiences more that feels like they were sold a false bill of goods when they watch a trailer and then go in and watch a movie and it's completely different from what they saw. I mean, if Timothy Chalamet, he's playing Paul Atreides. He's the main character of the film. The movies are about him. I mean, essentially. So you've got to feature him mostly in the trailers. But yes, even though... Zendaya may not be in a lot of the film. You do want to highlight her because she's a big name. Obviously, they did focus Jason on Jason Momoa a bit. Obviously, they focused a bit of the sandworms or as, you know, Aaron Cummings now calls them the butthole monsters. That's all in there. And I believe they're going to strike that balance for the rest of the marketing campaign. But you can't, you know, what you really cannot do is market it in such a way that appeals to everybody, but you cross a line where it's not actually representing the film you're selling anymore. So you got to be careful about that. I think they're going to continue to balance it out. All right, next up. Also coming us from Garden Variety Vagabond, who writes in, one of five. All right, here we go. John and Co., Regarding the top uh, the top of $100 million openings, only 60 movies have ever done this. 25 are Disney films, including Star Wars, MCU, and, Di and uh, other Disney films. By the way, he brings this up because the other day on the John Campy Show, we had this big discussion about which of all the movies still coming out in 2021 have uh, a chance at ha hitting a $100 million opening weekend. Anyway, uh, 10 are Warner Brothers with DC, Harry Potter and It. Uh, five are Universal, Jurassic, Fast and Furious, and Animated. Four are 20th Century Fox with uh, Star Wars, Deadpool, X-Men, DreamWorks, two, uh, uh, two Shreks, Transformers, Lions, uh, Lionsgate, uh, five Hunger Games, 
uh, and Twilight Paramount three. I don't understand how you're writing any of this at all. Anyway, uh, indie Iron Man, Transformers, Sony, Spider-Man. Uh, this is the best circumstances looking at the next 40 highest opening weeks, 100 to 77.8 million. They match almost the exact same buckets Add Skyfall, Matrix 2, Hangover Part 2, Fifty Shades, Hobbit, and The Passion of the Christ as the only other outliers. So based on this, Matrix, Dune, and Bond franchise have never achieved this. Halloween series has never done it. Uh, with most under 30 million, no comedies that are not Disney or animated. So I would say Suicide Squad, Jungle Cruise, Shang-Chi, Eternals, uh, Spider-Man, Venom 2, and Encanto are the only ones uh, with IP pedigree to achieve the goal. Key is repeat viewings and all demographics. I love Dune. Maybe if this does well, uh, maybe this does well next might. And I love Bond, but Skyfall only hits 88 million. I go with the numbers. Well, I mean, here's the problem. First of all, good research, Garden Variety. Excellent research. But here's the one problem you're failing to take into consideration. The eras change, right? So as we've progressed, particularly in the last five, six years, more and more, I mean, this has been a growing trend for the last 15 years, but really has become even more emphasized in the last five or six or seven years, is that more and more there's been a growing trend and a pattern that more and more people are going to see movies earlier and earlier in their theatrical run, right? It used to be that you could have, I got a fly on my thing here. It used to be that you could have a movie open with just, you know, a little bit of money, but it then has real legs and it hangs around for two or three months in the cinemas. And yeah, a great movie, for example, like that is my big fat Greek wedding. I think I could be wrong, but I think my big fat Greek wedding might hold the record for the movie that has been in the top 10 at the box office, the longest without ever being number one at the box office. Like it was never number one, didn't open at number one or anything like that, but it stayed in the top 10 forever. That's never going to happen again. That will never happen again. That is just too, you know, juxtaposed against what the basic movie-going habits of the movie-going audience are today. And understanding that, that kind of starts to tip the scales a little bit, that more and more. So that's why in recent years, we've had more and more movies hitting the $100 million opening mark. Now, that doesn't discredit any of your research. That's really good work. And I think there are anecdotal truths to take out of that. But it doesn't exclude others because of the changing trend. So it's going to be very interesting to see between now and December 31st, like between now and whenever Spider-Man No Way Home comes out, how many of these films, if any of them, hit the $100 million opening weekend mark. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, Garden Variety. Well done. All right, next up, Jesse writes, With Bo Burnham's Inside snagging six Emmy nominations, I recently saw that Netflix is doing a limited theatrical run of the special. My question is, would showing Inside uh, the theaters now qualify for the Oscars? No, Uh, even though it dropped on Netflix first. No, although it dropping on Netflix first had nothing to do with it, had nothing to do with it. But I believe there are bylaws in the Academy that if something gets nominated for Emmys, it's immediately excluded from the Oscars. Now, You'd have to talk to a member of the Academy. I happen to know a couple. Maybe I should ask them. You'd have to talk to a member of the Academy to know if that's 100% true, but I believe there are bylaws in there about that. So if it's been nominated for Emmys, I don't think it can be nominated for Oscars. So, But again, I'm not really sure. I've never even watched Bo Burnham's Insider. I've heard it's good, but 
the trailers just didn't appeal to me, so I haven't bothered with it. But as far as I know, and I could be wrong, so don't take this to the bank at all. I could totally be wrong about this. But I don't think it uh, qualifies for the Oscars if it also has Emmy nominations. Anyway, uh, Jesse writes, Also, I would personally love to see this project that he poured his heart, mind, and soul into get some recognition from the Academy as it's one of the best self-produced pieces of entertainment I've ever seen. Look, the one thing I'll say about that, Jesse, is almost everything, almost, not quite, but a lot of the entertainment you see is people who have poured every single ounce and fiber of their being, heart, passion, soul, resources, strength, everything they have into it. I mean, it's it's very easy for us to sit back, and I know I'm guilty of this. I totally am. It's so easy for us to sit back and just look at the movies that come out and the TV shows that come out as just another piece of commodity. Like, oh, that box of cereal on the store shelf right beside that box of cereal on the store shelf. And we just look at it as just another com- commodity. But as somebody who has made some self-made films and things like that, I can tell you, each one of these movies that gets made is a manifestation of somebody's lifelong dreams, work, dedication, passion, and even when the movies turn out to be unbelievable crap. There are some people involved with that film where that movie was their lifelong dream, and for some, it is a project that they've worked on for two, three, four years, pouring everything of themselves into it. So I don't take anything away from the Bo Burnham thing, but don't think that that's unique. I know a lot of us just look at it as another commodity, and and certainly many, many people who do work on certain movies, is it's just their next gig. It's just their next gig. But behind all of those people, at their root, is the small handful of people where that movie, however good or however bad it ended up being, however memorable or however forgettable, that movie was somebody's lifelong dream. And that movie for a couple of other people was something that they poured their heart, soul, passion, sweat, blood, tears, everything for two, three, four, five years into getting that brought to the screen. So just, I think, and like I said, I am more guilty of this than anybody, but we as fans need to try to remember that when talking about these movies, because we really do commoditize them. We really do. Anyway, thanks for sharing that, Jesse. All right, next up, we got Harvey Dude 93 who writes, What's good, John and Rob? Obviously, Rob's not here right now, unfortunately. I've been watching you since 2019. Thank you so much for that, dude. A big fan of your work. Uh, We may not always agree on some topics. That's the point. We're not supposed to agree. We're supposed to disagree a bunch of times. Anyway, but I respect your point of view and always look forward to what you have to say. Thanks to all the great content and positive attitude. See, here's the thing, Harvey, and I, I like bringing this up once in a while because it's important. You know, some YouTubers see it as they need to say things that they think people are going to agree with. Because if I say something people don't agree with, they're not going to watch my videos. And there's some truth to that, but I don't give a shit about that. Um, So there are a lot of YouTubers who feel it's important that they say what's popular amongst their viewership. Um, That has never been my, my position. You guys know all the time. I say things all the time that a lot of people disagree with. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes, almost always, I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong, sometimes I'm right. But you guys always know that I'm always going to give you my honest opinion. Whether it's the popular opinion, the unpopular opinion, doesn't matter. Because all I have to offer you is my honest opinion. Whether you agree with it, disagree with it, whether it's the popular opinion or not. 
then there's another group of YouTubers who or bloggers or writers or whatever that believe it's their responsibility to convince you to agree with them. That's not my job. It is not my job to tell you what you already think. And it's not my job to convince you to agree with me. My job as a pundit is to give you my honest point of view, explain why I have that point of view, and then hopefully do that in such a way that it helps you sharpen your position, whether it's the same position as mine or a different position than mine. Because like, let's say we're discussing, I don't know, the merits of um, uh, the merits of the remote control, the movie, right? And let's say I loved remote control, the movie, and you hated it. My job is to explain to you what it is about this movie that I did enjoy and why I enjoyed it. And if me doing that helps you sharpen and really focus why you didn't enjoy it, then my job's done. If it helps you understand and focus more and sharpen your understanding about why you agree with me, then great. My job's done either way. That's my job. And that's what I'm always trying to do. And sometimes I'm good at it. Sometimes I don't do such a good job at it, but that's what I'm always trying to do at any rate. So thank you for the comments, man. I really do appreciate it, Harvey. All right, next up. Uh, Harvey Dude also writes, one of two. What's good, John and Rob? And obviously Rob's not here. I know previously you've said that most video game movies are garbage, which is true, uh, with the exception of the first Tomb Raider and Sonic. Uh, and and don't forget, even though it's terrible, the first Mortal Kombat, I, the movie's terrible, but I love it. I have, I'm not ashamed to tell you that I love that movie. Anyway, uh, with the exception of the first Tomb Raider and Sonic, personally, I think Detective Pikachu movie is great. And amongst those few good uh, video game movies. My question is, what did you and Rob think of the Pokemon Detective Pikachu movie? I grew up with the game franchise as well as the anime. So this movie holds a special place in my heart. Anyways, uh, anyways, thanks for reading and bring on the filthy. Well, thanks so much for that, Harvey. Listen, I, I still, I heard a great debate. I read a thread of a really good debate about is Detective Pikachu even a video game movie? Now there is a video game. But a lot of people were arguing, and I, I have no position in this, just so you know. A lot of people are arguing, because Pokemon is, first and foremost, a trading card game, it's really based on that. So, I don't know. I, you tell me what you think. I don't have a position on that, to be honest with you. But, I like the trailers for Detective Pikachu. And obviously, you had Ryan Reynolds, my favorite movie star right now, and who ha also happens to be a good Canadian kid. You had Ryan Reynolds doing the voice. Like I said, I thought the marketing was cute and charming. And I'm not a Pokemon guy, although my wife completely is. I'm not a Pokemon person at all, but I was looking forward to seeing that. And I didn't think it was terrible. But honestly, I didn't think it was all that good either. Like, I, I would say it's decent. My, my personal evaluation of it was it was decent. I would... In the realm of, is it another video game movie that sucks if we're going to call it a video game movie? Which I think there is some merit to doing that because there is a video game. But in the realm of video game movies, I wouldn't lump it in with yet another video game movie that sucks, but I wouldn't exactly call it a win either. So I don't know. And you know what? It did pretty well at the box office. The damn movie made 430 something million dollars at the box office, but it was also an expensive film to make. It wasn't as much as the studio was hoping it would make. And, um, I keep forgetting the name justice. Is it justice Smith? Is that the name of the kid? The, the main character in anyway, I think justice Smith recently said 
that uh, it looks like they're not moving forward with the sequel, which is unfortunate. But yeah, I thought it was okay. I, I thought Detective Pikachu was okay. So that was me. But I'm glad you loved it, man. I really am. All right, next up, we've got uh, Owen who writes, I really enjoyed your 100 million discussion yesterday. Thanks so much. It was a fun thing. It was me, Robert, and Scott breaking down all the movies coming out and their chances of making 100 million. It was a lot of fun. I would recommend you go and check it out if you get a chance. Anyway, but I have two things to say. One, you said Spider-Man Far From Home opened less to less than 100 million. Yes, I addressed that on the John Campy show earlier today, but let me finish reading your thing. Uh, you forgot that it opened on a Tuesday and two, you should have included the King's man. No, 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 no. The King's man, I, I believe has zero chance of making hundred million opening weekend, zero chance, none. So that's why I didn't include it. So I, there was no point in my opinion, there was no point in even discussing it. Now watch it opens to $120 million. Uh, anyway, that I think it has 0% chance anyway. So when we were talking, for those of you who didn't see the John campus show earlier, uh, when we were talking about, Spider-Man, the chances of Spider-Man No Way Home, I accurately said, because I looked it up as we were doing the show, the movie made only like 93 million opening weekend, which is a great opening weekend. But it's like, well, if that didn't open to 100 million during non-COVID times, uh, you got to at least say it's not 100% that it's going to make $100 million now. But as I talked about on the John Campus show earlier today, after that just never sat right with me. Like I, like I saw the numbers, I had the statistics in front of me. It only made only uh, made 90 something million dollars opening weekend, but there was something in the back of my head bugging me about that. So when the show was done, I went back and started reading about it again. And what I had totally forgotten during the show was yes, the official opening weekend numbers were 90 to $93 million, but it had opened on the Tuesday or Wednesday. Normally movies open on the Friday, like the Thursday night, Friday. And a lot of people went to go see it on those opening days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, right? A lot of people went that. So um, it clearly, so yes, during the official opening weekend, it only made 92, 93. But obviously, if this movie had not opened on Tuesday, Wednesday, and whatever, and had people not been able to go see it earlier, that opening weekend for Spider-Man Homecoming or uh, Far From Home would have been much better. 130, 140 million is probably what it would have come in at. So yes. And so anyway, we did talk about that earlier on the show today. So, but thanks for bringing that up, Owen. All right. Next up, uh, Kevin R writes, Hey, John and Rob and Rob's not here. I know you both are film score fans. I was wondering what are your thoughts on the score for rogue one by Michael Giacchino? Uh, it's very underrated in my opinion. For me, it is a top five star, star Wars scores. You know what? I, I might have to revisit it. First of all, I love Rogue One, the movie. I love that movie. It's great. To me, it's the second best non-original trilogy Star Wars movie. Like the best non-original uh, original trilogy Star Wars movie is The Force Awakens, I believe. And then it's Rogue One. I love the movie. I think it's great. But I think it just might be because it was the first Star Wars movie that I had ever watched that wasn't john williams conducting it just always felt off to me now that's unfair because what my mind is doing is comparing it to what the other star wars movies were and because it didn't sound the same i was judging it harshly it's like this doesn't feel right and i wasn't judging it on its own merits so i have to go back and revisit the score at some point really give it another time because i know i walked away for me the score was one of the things that felt like it wasn't right like it didn't work 
But again, I fully admit that that might just be because it wasn't John Williams. So I, I mean, I don't know, but I, I might have to go back and visit that again at some point. Thanks for writing that in, Kevin. All right, next up. Uh, Shekel Money writes, do you think Blade ha- have to be, I think you mean has, do you think Blade has to be black? To my knowledge, nothing about his character says he has to be black in the movies. I know he is black in the comics. On the second hand, there are a lot of white superheroes and it would be nice to see something else. Um, That's a good question to ask because, you know, one of the things that I've been saying a lot is that there are very few comic book characters. There are some, but they're few where their ethnicity is actually a vital part to the DNA of who and what that character is. Clark Kent looking like a white Caucasian, not important to the character at all. Uh, There's a lot that are like that. I don't think Blade has to be black. Now, there's a few differences, of course. Superman is a character that's been done the same way for, you know, 70 years. And we've had multiple iterations of him on the screen throughout the ages, uh, both on television and in movies. And it's always been the same. And, and so, you know, you get to a point where, hey, let's try something different and see how that goes. With Blade, I mean, we had, we had Wesley Snipes and we had, who was it again that, that played him? Sticky Fingers? It's, I think it was Sticky Fingers that played him in that, in that short-lived television series. And really, that was it. But honestly, it, it, look, I, again, I am more of a traditionalist, right? If I was producing a Superman movie, I would probably go with the traditional white-looking Superman. But I got no problem with J.J. Abrams or Michael B. Jordan or anybody else trying a different color Superman. That's fine. I have no problem with that. I would also be more traditional doing a blade movie in that I would probably just do a black blade. But if it, if the argument came up and push came to shove, no, I I don't think blade being black is essential to the core DNA of who and what that character is. When you describe blade, him being black is not really a part of it. It's about, he is half vampire, half human. He is the day walker. He has all the vampire strengths, none of their weaknesses. These are all things that are the core essential parts of who and what he is. So no, Blade doesn't have to be black. Again, if I was producing the movie, I would make him black, but if the argument came up, I would probably argue it is not absolutely required that he be a black character. But Again, it's a different situation than a Superman that, you know, and not to mention like even just the MCU had 20 plus films in a row with white male leads and you don't have very many black characters out there right now. You know, companies like Marvel, DC, they're trying to correct that right now. But but no, bottom line, there's nothing to me about Blade that insists it has to be played by a black actor. That's that's just me. All right, next up, uh, we've got Ryan Loner who writes or Loner who writes. I still hold out hope we'll get a Predator movie that follows one of them back home to his nagging wife and unfulfilling corporate job and social media haunting him for or uh, social media hating on him for hunting on Earth, which is supposed to be a protected zone. I love it. It's you know, there's a thing in in uh, writing and in storytelling called um, I, I'm probably going to mispronounce it. It's uh, anthropomorphizing. I might be mispronouncing that anyway anthropomorphizing and i'm sure i'm saying it wrong that is basically a thing where you are attributing human characteristics to non-human things right so you talk about the face of the tree 
or you know, something along those lines, right? So that would be us kind of doing that and saying, on oh, this alien culture, give them our real world issues and problems. That would be interesting to see. All right, next up, we got Tad's uh, Dirty Keto Kitchen writes. So I've been watching Mayans, and while I love Sons, I find that with this show, there is little to no character development with the rest of the club. And the main character, Easy, is out of place with this world. I don't know that I agree. With Jax, he had heart, but he was also a badass. I Listen, obviously, I think Sons of Anarchy is by far the superior show between Sons of Anarchy and Mayans, which is a spinoff of Sons of Anarchy. But I still think Mayans is quite good. And Easy is supposed to be a character that is out of step with that world. He's supposed to be the kid that went on to Ivy League. He's the bookworm, you know, he's all that. And what we've seen in him is his transformation to this is what I am, right? I think Angel has had a lot of character development. I love everything we've had with uh, Edward almost playing their dad. Um, I think a lot of them at Bishop, we've been seeing some really interesting storylines with Bishop going on recently, like between the battle with the other Kings versus, you know, him struggling with the death of his child and all that kind of, I, so I got to say, I mean, I, I'm not discrediting your experience with the show. Not at all. I'm just saying for me, I can't agree. I think there has been a lot of good stuff, even though I don't think it's anywhere near as good as uh, Sons of Anarchy, but I think it's been quite good, but that's just me. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Tad. I appreciate that, man. Next up, James L.H. writes, Hey, John, uh, one of two. A viewer mentioned not having HBO Max in the UK. What you said in terms of agreement is correct. Currently, HBO has a longstanding deal with Sky TV. Oh, that's interesting, which includes co-production and exclusive broadcast and video on demand rights. HBO shows are on Sky's channel, uh, Sky Atlantic and Sky streaming service, now TV. In an interview, Jason Kalar mentioned that they're looking at what happens when the deal expires in 2025. This covers many European regions, so it's very tangled, a problem other streamers don't have. Uh, and is there a part three? No. Okay, well, thanks a lot for writing that in, James. And yeah, that's a great commentary on a topic that came up the other day. Somebody had written in and said, you know, they're really bummed they can't watch these HBO shows because it's not available in the country that they're in. And by the way, they weren't necessarily in the UK or anywhere where Sky is available. And I was saying, you know, I'm a little bit confused about that because why doesn't, <clears throat> why doesn't HBO do what CBS All Access did when that was still a thing? You know, Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, um, they wanted people around the world to be able to watch it, but CBS All Access wasn't available in most countries. So what CBS All Access did was, was they licensed out Star Trek Discovery in other countries that had other streaming services, whether that was Netflix or somebody else. Not Netflix in the U.S., that was only for CBS All Access, but for other countries. And James just gave us a great update on that, that HBO does do that for their Sky things. Now, that doesn't help people who live in countries that neither have HBO Max or Sky, but that is good to know, James. Thank you for putting that over my radar. And yes, you're right about there's a very convoluted, tangled web of territorial rights, licensing rights, all this kind of stuff. HBO just can't be, oh, let's just have HBO in every country in the world. It's not that easy. There's a lot of hoops they have to jump through. That's why, you know, things like Disney Plus aren't available everywhere right now either. So it's going to take them time. They'll get there, but it's going to take them a little bit of time. We just got to be patient with them. All right. Next up, we go to BK Dan who writes. 
John, just want to give a shout out to one of my uh, favorite movies of all time, which came out this day, July 28th, uh, 1978, National Lampoon's Animal House. You know, I other than John Belushi, I cannot remember anybody uh, who was in that. I think uh, I think a very young Kevin Bacon was in that movie. If I if I remember some trivia about that before. Anyway, but the cool thing was like it was directed by John Landis, super famous John Landis, who also directed Belushi in uh, Blues Brothers and Aykroyd. He also directed like one of my all-time favorite comfort movies, which is The Three Amigos, which is great. But here's what a lot of people forget about um Animal House. It was written by Harold Ramis. Uh, there were other writers as well, but it was written by Harold Ramis, Egon himself. Egon himself from the Ghostbusters. He was actually, a lot of people forget, he was a very prolific writer. If I'm not mistaken, I think Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, and Rick Moranis also wrote uh, Ghostbusters. But but Harold Ramis wrote a lot of stuff, and uh, that was one of them. So yeah, it's certainly an iconic comedy of all time. All right, next up, uh, we've got Crashing Coyote who writes, I just saw a YouTube video where John McCarthy goes super in-depth on the new rules for 14 minutes called the New Unified Rules of MMA, California State Athletic Commission. Check it out because I learned a lot, and you will too. As a huge fan, a UFC fan, I found it fascinating. Well, John McCarthy, some people know him as Big John McCarthy. He wasn't only just some big, huge ref in the UFC going all the way back to UFC 1. He actually helped write the rules of MMA. Like John McCarthy, big John McCarthy actually helped write the rules of MMA. I had the pleasure of meeting him once, <clears throat> only once. We were both on a flight to uh, Las Vegas from Los Angeles. We were both uh, from Burbank. And uh, I had a chance to go up to him. We struck up a conversation, talked to him for a, get, for a bit. And uh, Herb Dean was there too. The two of them were flying out to Vegas for one of the UFCs. And it was really cool. But this guy literally helped write the rules that govern MMA today. So it's really cool. Anyway, thanks for that, Crash and Cody. Next up, James Bonner writes, Hello, John and Robert. Obviously, Rob's not here. So I made my first trip back to the theater this past Monday and saw Snake Eyes. And I liked it. I won't break one of the Campia Cardinal rules by making up excuses as to why I liked it. I just liked it. No, 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 no. Explaining why you like something or explaining why you didn't like something is not making excuses. Whatever reason you liked a movie is why you liked a movie. It's when what we can't do is make excuses as to why somebody else didn't like a movie. Well, I like this movie. That guy didn't like that movie. Well, he must just not have understood the movie. You see what you see what I did there? Made an excuse. Like instead of just admitting, oh, that guy saw the same movie and he didn't like it. People get so threatened. It's like, well, I said I like this movie. If that person said they didn't like the movie, that devalues my opinion. No, it doesn't. They're allowed to not like something and you're allowed to like something and it doesn't discredit either of you. It's all good. So no, you liking something you make, there's no excuses. Whatever your reasons are for liking it are yours and personal to you and they are fair and they are valid. So if you like Snake Eyes, I'm jealous because I wish I liked Snake Eyes. So I'm actually a little bit envious of you, my friend. So I'm glad you had a good time with it, man. All right, next up. Uh, Kendall writes, I think this is a legitimate question, John. 
With former Smallville star Allison Mack's jail sentence due to her involvement with NXIVM, I, I didn't know if that's an actual name, but I just see it always written out like that. Uh, do you think that will have an effect on Smallville's return and in an animated sense, a.k.a. cancel culture thoughts? No, I, I really don't. Look, I think ever since the whole thing with Allison Mack and, and the sex cult stuff and whatever, ever since all that stuff came out, I mean, all her former co-stars were like, did a lot of work to separate themselves. Michael Rosenbaum, he's got a podcast. I think it's called Inside of You. It's a really weird title for us, but it's a good podcast. Anyway, he has talked many times about Alison Mack and her involvement in that stuff. He's had other former Smallville stars on to talk about that. I don't think there's anybody, at least nobody with an ounce of brain power that holds anybody else responsible on Smallville for things that Alison Mack did. And by the way, I'm not a TMZ bullshit kind of thing. So I've never followed that story. I mean, I just know, oh, she did some pretty messed up shit. Okay, so I don't know how bad it was. I'm assuming it was pretty bad, but I just don't know the details of it So because I really don't care. But I don't think anybody's going to hold anybody else involved with Smallville responsible for that. So no, I really don't think it's going to have any, any, anything. I don't think it's going to have any impact on it at all, one way or the other. But that's just my take on it. I could be right. I could be wrong. All right, next up. We got Kylo Ken, who writes, John, I think Rob has the best idea for marketing Venom 2. Can you imagine if they released the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer with Venom 2? It could really boost the numbers for Venom's opening weekend. What do you think? I don't think so at all. I think, I think it would benefit Spider-Man to release a trailer with Venom. I don't think it benefits Venom at all. We don't live in 2005 anymore. The days of trailers premiere in the theaters is long gone. It's long gone. I mean, as, as, a, as a shtick and as a gimmick, they still do it once in a while. But it's very, very rare. Today, when a movie is, you know, when a trailer is going to come out with a certain movie, what really happens is, is it drops online on YouTube before that movie comes out a few days early, right? And... And the reality is, who's going to rush out to the movie theater today to go and watch a Spider-Man trailer when they know within about five minutes it's going to be up on YouTube anyway? So, no, I really don't think I don't think that exists anymore. Now, I talk a lot about in my in my documentary, which uh, give me a moment here to uh, to promote my documentary, shall we? Will you? Will you be so kind as to indulge me? So my documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story. It's available now uh, in any country in the world that you live in. No matter what country you live in, go to vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. You can rent it there. Or if you happen to live in the UK or the US, you can also just get it on Amazon. Just go to Amazon, search for Movie Trailers, A Love Story, and you can buy or rent the film there now. Anyway, now that my plug is done... Um, I talk about it in the documentary. We do discuss that about, especially with the Phantom Menace, that there was eras that you attach a certain trailer to a movie. It could build up the box office for that movie because with the Phantom Menace, people started buying movie tickets just to go and see the trailers. That doesn't exist anymore. So it's a good natural fit for Spider-Man to put its trailer with Venom and Sony. I remember Sony is the one in charge of the Spider-Man trailer. Marvel is not in charge of that. Sony is. And so for Sony, it seems like a good match. So that could very well work, but they could very well also drop that trailer earlier. But the reality is 
not many people. There might be a few, but really there's not a significant number of people that are going to rush out to the movie theater to buy a movie ticket. Unless anybody did, is probably going to go watch Venom anyway. So I really don't think it's going to make much of a difference. Uh, not for Venom at any rate. But it's still a good pairing. Like, like synergistically, it makes good sense to pair those two together. Have a Spider-Man trailer playing in front of Venom. It's just good for Spider-Man. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Ky- Kylo. All right, next up, Tony Rodriguez writes, Okay, Rob, uh, who's not here? Sorry about that. Uh, Manifest is me and my girls hate watch. We live in Long Island where the show is supposed to take place and we watch and we can tell where they say. And let me trust. And we watch and can tell where they say they. Let me try this one more time. And we watch and can tell where they say the R isn't. We watch and can tell where they say the R isn't where they are really filming. Um, Police precinct, they say, is in the Bronx, is in downtown Brooklyn. The airport slash hangar is five minutes from me in uh, Farmingdale. And they say it's JFK. Even maps in the show are completely wrong. I know it's got to film uh, where they can, but at least get it close. I don't know, Tony. I'll be Listen, I get it. If I lived in... You know, if I was still living in Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, by the way, greatest city in the world, um, and a movie was supposed to be taking place in Hamilton, but they were filming it somewhere else and they were getting all a bunch of things wrong. I would obviously feel mad about that. But let's be honest. Nobody else cares. <laughs> nobody else cares. So it's not really important. If we, we are really honest with ourselves, it's really not important. I mean, for me as a Hamiltonian, maybe it might feel like it is, but really at the end of the day, it's probably not all that important. As long as you enjoy the show, hell, Tony, even if you're hate watching it, right? So we'll keep our fingers crossed that Netflix will revive it for you guys. All right, next up, Ben Rayner writes, uh, part one, hey, John, 10 ago, 10 days ago, 10 minutes ago, 10 years ago, 10 ago, I started a hundred movies in a hundred days. I'm going to guess you meant a hundred days ago. Anyway, uh, I started a hundred movies in a hundred days, movies that I haven't seen. Oh, I remember you mentioning something about that. That's a really good personal project. I like that. Um, some movies I have, some movies I have watched, see no evil, hear no evil. That's uh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, uh, silver streak. You also watched a uh, Ratatouille, Coco, uh, and Wally as a few, as well as a few others. I love the Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor collabs. Uh, wish they did more. Watching one more today, Stir Crazy, which is great. Stir Crazy is wonderful. Do you have a favorite Wilder Pryor movie? Curious to hear your thoughts. Bring on the filthy. Yeah, my favorite one, Stir Crazy is great. And most people would probably say Stir Crazy. For me, it's uh, Hear No Evil, See No Evil. Or See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Whichever order they put it in, I can't remember. So for those of you who don't know the film, it's... One of them is blind and one of them is deaf and they're trying to solve a murder together. And it's Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. And the great thing about the Wilder and Pryor stuff is for me, it still holds up today. That's I can watch that. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't feel that way because I watched hear no evil, see no evil. I think the last time I watched it was, I think I was still at Collider, but So it was a number of years ago, probably four or five years ago that I saw it last. And maybe I wouldn't feel this way if I hadn't already seen it when I was younger. 
But for me, it still holds up. It just there's something about their comedic stylings that just transcends the era that it happens in. So yeah, that would be mine anyway, Ben. That's a great personal project to be on, man. That's an excellent personal project. All right. Your name writes. Years ago, I fell asleep watching the first episode of Troll Hunters, Tales of Arcadia. Recently, I gave the show another try, and I ended up binging, binging the trilogy. Has there been a show which you disliked on the first viewing, but ended up loving after a second chance? Um, I've had a number of shows where I didn't necessarily love the first episode. Oh, no, I know one. Um, uh, Legion. Legion. That's one where I watched, Ann and I both watched the first episode uh, because I can't remember the name the, the name of the girl from Parks and Rec. I don't know why I'm freezing on her name, but she was in it. You had uh, the dude from uh, Downton Abbey, and then he was the Beast in Beauty and the Beast, Dan, Dan Stevens. You had Dan Stevens in the lead role, and I can't, oh, why am I forgetting the name of the girl from Parks and Rec? Anyway, you guys know who I'm talking about. So we were really interested in watching and we watched the first episode and we hated it, hated it. I thought it sucked. So I ditched on it. About seven or eight weeks later, a bunch of people started writing in and, you know, John Schnepp himself said, listen, I know you didn't like the first episode, but John keep going with it. I think you're really going to like it. And then, so yeah, about, about a month or two after the premiere totally lost me. Like, I just hated it. I thought it was terrible. I went back and tried episode two and I got hooked. And I loved season one. I ended up absolutely loving season one. Now, then season two came and Ann and I started, we were both excited for season two and we got about four episodes into season two and we ditched on it because honestly, I didn't like season two. At least the first four episodes, I'm like, nope. But I did love the season one. And that was one where I hated the first episode, but I gave it another chance and I ended up loving the... uh, the rest of at least season one. So that's the one that stands out to me. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Uh, Last question of the day, guys. Then we got to wrap this thing up. James LH writes, John, have you been following the Olympics? Honestly, I have not. This is the first time ever in my life that I haven't been following the Olympics. It's like with all the COVID stuff going on and everything, I just have not paid attention, uh, which sucks. Anyway, have you been following the Olympics? Do you watch any particular sports uh, or look out for Canadian success? Obviously, I keep my eyes open for Canadian success. Anyway, two gold so far. Also, Anne must have been proud when the Philippines won their first ever gold medal and like Canada uh, and like Canada in weightlifting. Yeah, it was that was a big deal. And it was this little cuz she's super powerful. This little Filipino girl with just like the most delightful disposition. She's all smiles and giggles and so happy. This little Filipino girl lifting the equivalent of city buildings above her head. I mean, it was, it was crazy and seeing how happy it was. And I never knew that the Philippines had never won a gold medal in the Olympics before. So obviously, Anne being Filipina, she, she was very excited about it. And I couldn't help but get swept up in it too. Just seeing the pure joy in that girl. Look, the Olympics are beautiful, man. The Olympics are absolutely beautiful and I feel really badly that I haven't been watching them, but it's just with COVID and all that kind of stuff in the world. It just, it just seems too surreal that it's even happening right now, especially with how bad COVID has been in Japan. So uh, yeah, I just haven't been paying attention to it. I, I which sucks because I love the Olympics. 
I love the Olympics, and I really haven't paid much attention to it this year. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the companion video. Thank you guys so much for being here with us and checking this out. By the way, special thank you to all you guys who sent in those comments and questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, by tipping in, you're actually supporting the channel and all of us involved here. Thank all you guys so much for doing that very, very much. Uh, don't forget the John Campus Show returns tomorrow. And I know there are still some questions to go. Don't worry, guys. We're going to pick right up where we left off here on the John Campus Show tomorrow. But I feel like we're pretty much caught up now. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>